From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, Bennington residents whose drinking water was contaminated with toxic chemicals from a nearby Teflon coating plant have won class action status in a major lawsuit against the polluter. But despite their progress, community members say they'll be feeling the effects of the PFOA crisis for decades to come. VT Digger's environmental reporter, Elizabeth Kribkoff, went to check in on the recovery process. I knew that waterline construction work on the eastern side of Bennington was starting this summer, so we were curious if we could actually see where that was happening, and sure enough, we happened upon Willow Road being torn up. We went over, saw some guys from Gallo Construction Company, and they had you know, dug a pretty sizable trench. People were standing in the trench. They were backfilling. It was kind of in the late afternoon, so they'd already you know, laid a certain amount of pipe down and then were backfilling where the pipe had been laid. So these are pipes that'll be part of the town water system going forward? Yeah, so these are connecting people who live in the eastern side of the PFOA contaminated area to municipal water. And then once they lay down, you know, kind of the the larger pipe along the road, they'll actually connect individual houses to municipal water. So why is this happening? What is the need for new municipal water lines over in this part of Bennington? In 2016, the state discovered fairly widespread PFOA contamination, and the state had reached a settlement a couple years ago with the company Saint-Cobain Performance Plastics, that's the current owner of the ChemFab plant, to provide access to clean municipal water for you know homes kind of around the factory who found elevated levels of PFOA in their drinking water wells. However, it wasn't until this April that the state kind of reached a final agreement to fund work for the eastern side of town. There had been some disagreement between state officials and the company about, you know, whether all the PFOA contamination was actually from emissions from the ChemFab plant, because there's also an old landfill by there that's a Superfund site. So the company was contending, you know, there could be some other sources of emissions. Um, But eventually the state reached a settlement to fund waterline extension work for around 250 homes on the eastern side. Uh, Today's announcement marks a major milestone on a long road. I'm grateful for the trust the residents of Bennington and North Bennington have bestowed upon the state while we work together to provide clean drinking water to the community. I remember when the state announced this settlement, it was a really big deal. They made a pretty big show of it. What exactly was in that settlement that made it such a big step? I guess the sort of the two settlements combined, I think there was around $45 million from the company to fund waterline extension work to hook up, you know, hundreds of residents around Bennington who were living in areas of PFOA contamination to municipal water. So that was a big deal because it's, you know, providing long-term access to clean drinking water for residents, which obviously was, was important. Where does that settlement end? What does it not cover? There are still some you know, lingering concerns amongst residents. PFOA, you know, the reason it's a toxin is that it's been linked to certain kinds of cancers, thyroid diseases, immune system problems, developmental problems. So people are concerned about long-term health impacts of having drained contaminated water for, for some people for decades. So there's a group of actually nine Bennington residents that are suing the company. 
and they're trying to get payment for long-term medical monitoring and also for property damages because they do now, you know, have access through the state settlement to clean drinking water, but they're saying, you know, they used to have wells, those wells were capped, they can't grow food on their properties anymore, sort of they've lost some enjoyment of their properties, so they're seeking damages for that as well. Did the state speak to why the settlement that they landed on didn't address any of those things? Yeah, so during that press conference last April, when the state was announcing the settlement, Attorney General T.J. Donovan said that if instead of reaching a settlement, they had decided to sue the company, he said he felt like five to seven years later, so a much you know, longer period of time, they would have been at roughly the same place they were. It was just a lot riskier to try to press for all of that, and they really wanted to focus on getting people access to clean drinking water. Here we are, three years later, uh, delivering on a common goal that Uh, transcends administrations, transcends parties, uh, because at the end of the day, this is about access to clean drinking water. We wanted to get something done. uh, We got it done. I think residents are pretty, do feel pretty grateful about what the state, you know, did accomplish. That just leaves the people in the area to take any other concerns that they have. They have to litigate those things themselves. Yes, they do. And um, actually last Friday, Judge Jeffrey Crawford, because this is pending in federal court, um, so he's a federal judge, he granted class status to this group of residents because they're seeking, it's not just these nine residents who want you know compensation or payment for medical monitoring. They're seeking to have anyone who'd been impacted by PFOA contamination in Bennington, you know, be able to kind of receive some of these benefits depending on how the lawsuit goes down the line. So there's going to be one class for people who lived in the contaminated area and then a separate class for people who actually had elevated levels of PFOA in their blood to be able to obtain payment for long-term medical monitoring. But overall, in this lawsuit, that means a lot more people have the potential, if they win, to get some benefit from what's happening here. Yes, it's true, but it's still a long ways off. Like This case still has yet to actually go to trial, so we're talking years. You've lived here for like a long... How long have you lived here for? for I built the house in uh, 1990. Okay. So almost 30 years. Yeah. Tell me about some of the residents that you talked to down there who do still have some concerns that they felt it was necessary to bring to court. Yeah. So we spoke with Sandy Sumner and he's one of the plaintiffs who's named in the class action lawsuit. He and his wife had moved up to Bennington around 1990, and you know they built this beautiful house overlooking Mount Anthony. You know, gardens in the in their yard and everything. It's kind of their nest egg. And Sandy said that he had um, reached out to factory management and also to the EPA because he had concerns about you know when the plant was still going in the 90s about the kind of the acrid emissions. You know, and they just felt like you know we don't we don't know what exactly is in these emissions, but it, it can't be good for us. But yeah, no, I was miserable during that time. Because of the... My wife and I, we were constantly sick. Uh, we couldn't keep our windows and doors open. Uh, working outside in the summer was really hit or miss, depending on the wind. We got headaches, migraines, sore throats, nosebleeds. We both had to have our noses cauterized at the time from the exhaust. And they said they didn't really, there wasn't really an, an adequate response. I didn't feel like the company changed anything to kind of address those emissions. Mm-hmm. And they're basically sitting, their house is, you know, pretty much right uphill from where the smokestack was. So really, really close to that. Yeah, it's probably 300 yards away, maybe. They discovered in 2016 that they had pretty high levels of PFOA in their well. So there, yeah, when we spoke with Sandy, he said he's kind of concerned about potential health impacts, you know, down the line. Well, I've certainly talked to my physician, and he's done his homework. So until 
real medical monitoring is in place, I will go to my doctor and I have health issues, but they're not really clear whether or not it's connected to Lyme disease or PFOA or whatever. But I've had to, out of pocket, pay for a lot of tests that with medical monitoring, maybe I, I wouldn't have to. So, and with the insurance costs going up every year, it's going to be a real issue if, I mean, I want to know. I want to live as long as I can. I want the option of um, living out a natural life without this interference, interruption. And we just don't know. We, don't, we've, we feel like our, that freedom has sort of been taken away from us. I think he's concerned about potential health impacts from having drank water that was contaminated with PFOA for, you know, over two decades. And he's had, he said, two of his neighbors have had what he called relatable cancers or cancers that have been linked to PFOA. So I think there's kind of that big question mark. He's also concerned about, you know, if he and his wife go to sell their house, you know, move somewhere else about a potential impact on property value. I really would like to make sure that we get what this house is worth when it comes time to sell it. But at the same time, strangely enough, anybody who wants to buy this house, I would make damn sure that they knew that even though those flower beds are beautiful, that soil and water, groundwater is contaminated, and it will be while you're living here. Financially, if we took a hit on this house, we'd have a hard time. I was a carpenter most of my life. My Social Security is going to be low. Our finances these days aren't what they used to be. <clears throat> so making a change to the next move, I don't know what that'll be or what that'll look like. We also spoke with Jim Sullivan, who lives pretty close to Sandy and you know also pretty close to the ChemFab plant. And he actually, I guess, I think they actually built that house after the plant had already closed. So they... You know, they, they hadn't been smelling the emissions, didn't, I think, really think about it too much. And then they discovered also in 2016 that they had, you know, really ele pretty elevated levels of PFOA in their well. It was a tough process to deal with, like you said. I mean, you, you know, you really ap appreciate how um, kind of fundamental to your daily life uh, clean water is until you don't have it and you, you go about finding other ways to do things for two and a half years is pretty disruptive. Jim was actually one of the people who put the class action lawsuit into motion. He said he'd been, knew some attorneys, had been kind of talking with them about, okay, what do we do here? And also in 2016, it wasn't 100% clear whether the state would be able to reach an agreement with St. Cobain to fund water line work. So at that time, they were, you know, possibly looking to have the company pay for clean water, and, you know, in addition to medical monitoring and property damages. So when it hit... Uh, close to home, you know, he's consulted with some, some folks and some attorneys and said, hey, you know, we're pretty concerned about a number of things. You know, mm -hmm. we're concerned about our health, yeah. uh, you know, ongoing monitoring of our health. We're concerned about our property values. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're certainly concerned about our water supply at the time and a number of other things. You know, what, what are our options here? What do we do? And so, Part of the reason he was also interested in seeking long-term medical monitoring costs is just wanting to you know, keep an eye on, you know, his health and his family's health going forward in case something does crop up so they can, you know, catch it early. It's it's not a routine blood test. Uh, and, you know, like, it, it has to be sent off to special labs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, between the test results from my wife and myself and um, 
at least one other person that was in the house at the time, we could get a pretty good idea of of what the uh, the blood concentration levels would be for other folks, but don't really know <laughs> for yeah. sure. They're suing Saint-Gobain for essentially property damages, kind of loss of enjoyment of their property. One of the charges is actually battery for essentially exposing them to these contaminants. One thing that they're actually not looking for is payment. You know, say someone found that they had thyroid disease or some kind of disease that, you know, could be linked to PFOA. They're not seeking for the lawsuit wouldn't cover payment for treatment for Hmm. that. And that's because, you know, in order to actually statistically show in court, you know, oh, this company's pollution caused this disease, you just have to have way more people who are injured or ill. Um, So they kind of know that that's that's a battle they probably wouldn't be able to win. So they're trying to kind of be strategic about these charges and sue the company for things that they think they can easily prove in court and say, this was ChemFab or St. Cobain's mm-hmm. fault. Yeah. It, it takes a long time. You know, I mean, the, there's, you know, motion after motion after motion filed by um, the defendant. And then, you know, um, we have to respond to all of them. You know, it's just like, let's let's just <laughs> let's just make this thing happen but but yeah. it's um you know so it's it's more like i suppose if there's anything it's it's just kind of um a little bit long-term anxiety and frustration with just how long things take the next step um the judge will still have to decide whether medical monitoring can actually be a remedy in Vermont because lawsuits for medical monitoring are relatively new in the legal system. So courts in some states have allowed them, courts in other states haven't. So this judge actually has to rule on whether Vermont would allow this, essentially. There's not like a clear precedent for him to follow. No, this, yeah, this would be kind of in some ways a precedent setting case in Vermont. So this lawsuit generally is basically trying to pick up where the state's settlements left off. Yeah, I would say so. What kinds of things aren't included in this lawsuit? Like, where does this piece of litigation end? Well, I think something that at least right now seems kind of out of the realm of possibility for either the state to deal with or for, you know, residents to kind of obtain through this lawsuit is actually like cleaning up all the contaminated soil um, simply because it's such a large area. You know, it's not like, oh, here's one site where something spilled and we want to clean that up. They're all around town. You know, a a lot of these industrial pollution cases, it's, um, you know, it's it's like there's a there's a contaminated industrial site and everybody can focus on the contamination at that industrial Mm -hmm. site and and clean it up. And then, you know, there's maybe some lingering uh, stigma or something like that. But in this case, you know, the the contaminated site is right here. You know, we're living on it and we can't get yeah. off of it. And yeah. ev- everybody who's had their property contaminated is living on the, the contaminated site. I spoke a little bit with Chuck Schwar, who's the head of the state's waste management division, you know, kind of about why isn't the state trying to require that. And he said basically the, the levels of contamination in the soil aren't high enough where, you know, just by, say, touching the soil or gardening outside, you would be at risk. So I think if they were, you know, we might be looking at something a little bit different. This, what's been going on because of the PFOA, has been a a non-ending nightmare. I mean, really, um, 
and in many ways, I think the cure was worse than the PFOA. We talked with Rosemary Joukowsky on the porch of the house that she designed and had built in 1985. And she was saying she kind of regrets hooking up to the municipal drinking water. And she actually was telling us that she never drank her well water. She said she just had this almost like premonition, even though the water looked clean and, you know, smelled fine, whatever, to not drink it. So since 1985, I have carried in all my drinking water, and I, and I don't know what gave me the idea that we shouldn't drink it. It was either intuition or divine intervention. So she's not facing the health effects. Yeah, so she probably, you know, I don't think she has the same health effects that people who are drinking that water for decades would have. But she, you know, is kind of concerned that now, all of a sudden now, you know, she's older and is on, but has a fixed income. Her, you know, water bills are pretty expensive. And, you know, that's just a, a cost that she's struggling to be able to afford. I'm, I'm serious. I'm very, very, very sorry that I hooked on to municipal water. Uh, my, right now, my municipal water sewage bill is approximately 10% of my annual income. Think, ab- think about that. Yeah. It's one thing to have you know, access to clean water, but you also then have to be able to afford to pay those bills when people before had, you know, they had their well water um, that they were drinking. Um, and it feels like, you know, maybe that's something that a settlement with a company should have somehow addressed. Why is it fair that we, I paid many, many thousands of dollars to have a well drilled. The well is now gone, destroyed, capped, uh, and now I have to pay for the water. Why is the billing for the water not going to the people who caused the problem? I believe that St. Gobain should pay for the first 20 years of our water bills. She was saying she's getting water in her basement, which isn't something that had been happening until she had, frankly, a pretty large part of her yard dug up to put this smaller line in. And I think she just had some concerns that, you know, some of the grading or kind of finishing up that work maybe hadn't been done properly or needed to be redone. And so if she wanted to do anything about some of these more individual property damage complaints that she has... She'd have to do that on her own. None of the solutions that have been kind of put on the table so far really account for that. Yeah, she would have to kind of on her own figure out a way to to deal with that or try to pay for that or, you know, get the company to redo that work. Are there other avenues that people have taken to try to get some of these concerns addressed that exist outside the settlements that the state has made and outside this other lawsuit that's happening? Yeah, so in the legislature, Bennington's two senators... Senator Sears and Senator Campion had introduced a bill, it's sort of been referred to as a medical monitoring bill, and basically it would establish a right to action. It essentially establishes a right to sue for medical monitoring damages, you know, if you can prove that a company caused pollution, you know, that could have health impacts. Um, Because the way it works right now, there haven't been court cases that have set a precedent for medical monitoring being something that is guaranteed. And in some ways, the case that's going on now probably will be that precedent setting case. But, you know, lawmaker kind of in the wake of the Bennington contamination, some lawmakers and environmental advocates are saying, you know, we shouldn't have to wait to see how the courts decide like this is just something that we should try to be more 
proactive about and and put it into law. But that would be more for, you know, sort of future potential contamination cases versus the one that's going on now. Sandy Sumner definitely expressed some frustration with the governor for vetoing that again last session. You know, I think he felt like maybe he'd put business interests sort of above the interests of Vermonters. His argument for not allowing companies to be charged for medical monitoring is so lame. I'm sorry. And if he was in my shoes, I really wonder if he would still have the same opinion. It's just such an obvious no-brainer for me. Yeah, we also spoke a bit with Kaya Morris, who, you know, a former Bennington representative who had kind of one of the people who early on raised this issue of potential PFOA contamination. And yeah, she also, you know, expressed frustration with Scott for vetoing that bill. I mean, the simple act of saying you've harmed Vermonters and they have a right to be able to monitor their health because you did something that may affect them down the road in in a devastating fashion. And so we want to build in safeguards to ensure that they'll be able to get that screening to catch that cancer beforehand or to catch those, you know, those anomalies, those physical anomalies in advance and to know that those corporations were so invested in keeping even that very simple remedy away from people that were harmed is terrifying. Kaya was just sort of talking about the importance of having safeguards for people to be able to detect possible future impacts from contamination. And, you know, she also was saying she just had a hard time believing the level of lobbying that had happened in in the building kind of against this bill and was sort of saying, do we want these businesses in Vermont if they are going to be, I guess, like potential polluters? If their business model requires the death of people living in this country, if their business model and their profitability model requires the poisoning of people and the environment, then it is not a business model that we need. We don't need that kind of blood money. What's your takeaway from hearing all this? I think at this point, you know, a few years out from the initial discovery of contamination, we heard different things talking to different people. And I think people's experiences had a lot to do with where they lived, how much contamination had been in their well. So it seems like People who are participating in the lawsuit are optimistic that this could impact companies in the future to be more careful about how they deal with contaminants or emissions. Something that Sandy had said was that he, when we asked him, you know, what what was his main motivation for wanting to participate in the lawsuit, the first thing he said was to try to make companies, put pressure on companies to not do something like this in the future and to better take care of and and manage potential contaminants or emissions. Because they're not going to do it on their own. We know why they don't do it on their own. And so they need help to put a little pressure on them to make the right, better decisions, more responsible decisions. I think there was a little bit of hope that this won't happen again to other people. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks, Mike. You can find more of Elizabeth's reporting on the PFOA recovery in Bennington and the class action lawsuit at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig. Every Friday, we go deep on one key story we've been following. You can find more episodes at vtdigger.org or search for The Deeper Dig and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.